I'm excited to get to continue this series that we, um, that we started last week, Walking with God. And if you remember last week, Justin told us that God doesn't work on a basis that is bound by our expectations or our timeline, yet his ways are always best. And I, if you're like me, that's, man, that is a hard one to learn because my expectations and my timeline, they're usually slightly different than, than what God has. Maybe that's you as well. That leads us to Genesis chapter 15. That's where we're going to be today. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your scriptures, that's where we're going to be camping out. This is where God makes his seals and promises to Abram. And I'm going to tell you up front, we're going to, we're going to kind of flip this around. I'm going to tell you up front where this plane is landing today. And that is fear or faith, fear or faith. We have a choice. Now, sometimes fear comes on us out of nowhere, but sometimes we choose fear. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to tell you two different examples in my life where I was afraid. One of them came on me unexpectedly. One of them I chose. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to see that that, that fear is kind of where God starts this whole passage with Abram. So, so let me tell you, the, fir- the first example I want to give you this morning about fear happened just a few weeks ago. It was a Saturday night. It was right around midnight. I am asleep because I can't make it to midnight anymore. There was a day in my life when I could make it to midnight, and it's not today, all right? Uh, I don't make it to midnight anymore, so I'm asleep. There's a noise that goes off in the house. Kara rolls over and says, did you hear that? And I said, what was it? And she said, it sounded like the front door uh, alarm on the, on our house. You know, the beep, 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 if a door opens, something like that, that's what happened. And so me being the brave protector of my house, I jumped out of bed and I ran to the back door to check it out. And there's nothing at the back door. So I'm like, well, I should go to the front door. Logical, right? So I start down the hallway towards the front door. I get about 20 feet from my front door and I hear this beep, 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 it goes off again. Now, there's no light on in the house, but I look down the hall towards the door, and that door starts swinging open. And so I'm, I'm hit with that moment, fight or flight, what am I going to do? And so I start running towards the door, okay? I start running towards the door, and before I even know it, I've let out this, Whoa! I've yelled <laughs> as loud as I can. I have no idea where it came from, looking back on it logically, I was trying to scare this person that's breaking into my house. And I'd already decided that I'm going to tackle them. I'm going to knock them into the street. They're not getting in my house. That's what I've decided, okay? So the door continues to swing open. I've screamed. I'm running towards the door. And there's enough light coming in from outside that I can look out there. And all of a sudden, I see this little silhouette, little curly-headed silhouette. (laughs) That is my seven-year-old daughter. So I flip on the light, and I'm huffing and puffing. She's shaking, crying. Um, She's terrified. My wife's like, what is happening? And I said, London, that's her name. I said, London, what are you doing outside? And she said, I don't know. She said, "I, I, I woke up when I felt these sharp things on my feet. And so what had happened is London had had a long day, and she apparently slept walk, came downstairs, unlocked two locks, opened the door, went outside on the porch, and when she stepped onto the aggregate of my front porch, she woke up. And she thought, I shouldn't be outside at 12 12 o'clock at night. I should go back inside. So she goes back inside to see her father screaming at her, (laughs) charging her, and he's going to tackle her. So I'm happy to tell you that counseling is going really well for London. Um, 
But fear overcame both of us. It came out of nowhere. Now we can look back on that and laugh, but I want to tell you, I was shook up the rest of the night. It was hard to sleep that night because fear messed me up bad. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of talk about fear and faith today. And I'm going to give you another example in just a little bit. But Genesis 15 is an honest dialogue between Abram and God. And it's not without loving instruction from God. And, and there's an allowance for Abram to share his concerns. And as best we can tell, they speak audibly in most of their interactions in scripture. Uh, And Genesis 15 is one of those interactions. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of us would love to speak to God audibly? Would you love to speak to God audibly? I would. I mean, I'd love to talk to him and be like, okay, now, now what are you doing? Can you explain that to me to hear, to have that interaction? But I want you to think about this. As we learned last week, the first time that Abram has a conversation with God, he is 75 years old. 75 years old. Abraham, who he becomes later, he dies at 175. And in that 100 years, we have eight recorded interactions verbal between God and Abram. So I love how John Walton points out in his commentary. I want you to think about this. What if you were to make an offer to Abram? Which would you prefer, Abram? A brief conversation directly with God eight times in your life during which he spoke whatever was on his mind or a book that programmatically shows you what God is like and explains his plans and expectations. God has given us far more a revelation and guidance than Abram ever dreamed possible. And I just like the way that Walton puts that into perspective for us. We have this really rich and timeless gift of the scriptures and yet often we take it for granted. So why do I tell you that? Well, today, God wants to speak to each one of us in this room through his word, okay? So he wants to speak to you, and you can hear from God himself today if you will listen. So Genesis 15, God comes to Abram in a vision, and this is the only time recorded that it is a vision uh, between Abram and God. And the funny thing is, is that this chapter moves in and out of vision as it proceeds. So listen to this beautiful dialogue between God and Abram. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? Verse 9, he said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land 
that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Verse 17, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hethites, the Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So much in this passage happens, and we could honestly just kind of camp out in certain spots, but I want us to kind of take an overview of this entire passage, and we're going to see that it ebbs and flows. It's a conversation between God and Abram, and that's really encouraging to me because I think you're going to find that we relate a lot to what Abram is feeling and thinking. So the first thing I want us to talk about is God's promises, all right? That's our first point today, God's promises, all right? The covenant between God and Abram covered several things. There was a general assurance of kindness and goodwill to Abram in verse 1 that we see. And there were two specific promises in this passage that he would give him numerous offspring and that he would give him Canaan, the land of Canaan, for an inheritance. But I love where God starts in this passage, and I think it's so appropriate for us today. What does he start with? He says, do not be afraid, Abram. Do not be afraid. Now, this is the first time in scriptures that that phrase is mentioned. And we're going to see it multiple times here on out in scriptures. But this is the first time it's mentioned. Do not be afraid. And he's pretty spot on because Abram has already responded in fear. There was a famine in the land that God had called him to. And he ran towards Egypt. And he'd been in a big battle. And he was probably concerned that there were these kings that were going to come after him. So God starts this interaction with him. Do not be afraid, right? Now, we are prone to fear. It can actually eat us up. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think for just a second, what are some of your biggest fears or what is your biggest fear? Can you identify it sitting here right now this morning? If you are a parent, maybe a good exercise for you would be to ask your kids, what's your biggest fear? And so I did that this week. And my youngest, Levi, he's five. And he said, Daddy, I am afraid that my big brother Luke is going to scare me. And that is a well-founded fear because Luke, all day long, every day, goes around the house trying to scare Levi. So he, is, uh, he, he has a well-founded fear of being scared by his older brother. My two girls, both of them in some way, shape, or form said, I'm afraid of death. Can we relate to that? Are we, can we relate to that? My oldest said, Dad, there's some bad people in the world. He's starting to become aware of the things that happen in this world that are not always good. And he said, Dad, there's some bad people out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of afraid that they might do something to hurt me or my friends or my family. You see, we're prone to fear, and we can come up with things that we're afraid of. And what I love is in this passage, God knew Abram's soul, and he encouraged him not to fear. That's where he starts this whole thing. God's remedy for Abram's fear was to remind him of who he was. He says, I am your shield, your reward will be very great. That's verse one. So he tells him two things to kind of remedy his fear. I am your shield. God's I am is perfectly adequate for man's I am not. I love that. Almighty God is the only one who can offer you protection and provision 
to keep his promises. We see that all throughout scripture. Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Powerful passage. So like we examined last week, God's called each one of us to walk with him. And he's not just calling us to some specific destination, some place. What did we learned last week? That God himself is the destination. And if he's our destination, we have to trust that in his presence, there's protection and defense. I love that. And then God tells Abram, your reward will be very great. So I'm your shield, your reward will be very great. And this is where we start to relate to Abram. This is a hard statement for Abram to hear. My reward? Really? That's hard for him. And so uh, Matthew Henry, he breaks down in his commentary um, what the affliction was in in Abram's heart. And you probably already know it. The great affliction that sat heavy on him was the want of a son. And there were four parts to it. He had no child, first and foremost. He had no children at all. And he's surrounded by friends and servants who had children, but not him. Secondly, he realized that he was never likely to have any because he's getting old and his wife is getting old. The third thing was he realized that his servant was likely going to be his heir. And he even says so in our passage. And then probably the biggest thing is the want of a son was so great a trouble to him that it took away the comfort and the joy of all that he was experiencing in his life. And he even says so. He says, Lord, what can you give me? Basically, all this is nothing if I don't have a son. And so that kind of sets us up for point number two today, which is that Abram questions. So God promises, Abram questions. And I, this, like I said, this is where we kind of relate to God. Because if you're like me, there's plenty of things that I have questions about when, when concerning how God is operating in my life as I see it. So um, sometimes we hear it's not okay to question God. And this shows us that, that we can actually ask questions. We can bring our concerns to him. You see, Abram was not just concerned for himself and his wife, but he's actually concerned for the working out of God's plan of salvation for the whole world. God had a glorious plan and he'd made a great promise, but in Abram's eyes, God seemed to be doing nothing. Abram and Sarah were getting older and time was running out. Have you ever been in a place where you think God seems to be doing nothing? Hmm, We can relate to Abram. So one of the basic lessons in faith, we touched on it a little last week in the message We're going to hit on it again today. God's will must be fulfilled in God's way and in God's time. God's will must be fulfilled in God's way and in God's time. Not ours, right? So God didn't expect Abram and Sarah to figure out the whole process of how they're going to have an heir, right? He just wanted their availability. In fact, he wanted them to be appearing to others as almost as good as dead, especially when you think about child uh, having a child in, in a, an appropriate time at that, at that particular point. They're 75, they're 90 years old, they're, they're older, right? So, um, so it's all about God's timing. What Abram and Sarah don't realize is that he is working in ways that they can't even see. So it's good for us to share our concerns with the Lord, even if what we say seems to evidence unbelief or impatience on your part. I love the fact that God did not rebuke Abram for asking questions. You ever thought about that? Abram asks the questions and God doesn't rebuke him. He just answers him. He gives him assurances that he needed. If it wasn't permissible for, God, for Abram to ask these questions, God would not have allowed it. 
They are in a relationship and they're dialoguing just like any two people in conversation. And you see the difference is, is that God's all-knowing and he knows what's happening and Abram is using his reason and logic to try and figure things out. So, like I said, Abram questions. So the first thing he asks, verse 2, how am I going to have an heir? How will I have an heir? He actually says, God, what can you give me? I'm childless. My heir is Eliezer of Damascus. And that was his chief of staff servant. And honestly, from a logic perspective, that was a really good thing to think. Because in that day, if a man did not have a son, then his estate would pass to his chief servant. So, uh, so Abram's thinking, God, this must be how you're going to bring about your perfect will. You're going to make me the father of many nations. Of, of my, my, uh, de- my descendants are going to be so many that we can't count them uh, by my heir. That's what he's thinking. Not so much. God answers him graciously, and I love this. God gives him an express promise of a son in verse 4. He says, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. You see, Abram feared that he was going to have no child at all, but God assured him that his own descendants would be so many that they could not be counted. Then we see in this passage Abram's second question. Verse 8, he says, how can I know that I will possess the land. And, and this, is, this is where the beauty and relatability of this passage really jumps out to me. Um, you see, before he asks the second question, there's a moment where Scripture tells us that Abram believes. And so our third point is that Abram believed. Verse 6, check this out. Abram believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, the word translated believed means to lean your whole weight upon, lean your whole weight upon. So probably without thinking about it here this morning, you came in this room and each one of you that I see right now, with the exception of Wayne and Wade and Dave, you all believed in the chair that you're sitting in right now. You, you thought, I can lean my whole weight on this chair, right? Now, one of my favorite things about this room, if you've been around here at, at, for any length of time at all, is that you know that every once in a while, these chairs, they'll pop on you, right? They'll just, you'll be sitting there doing nothing. You didn't move and they'll just pop all of a sudden. And one of my favorite things is to be sitting close to somebody to when that happens, because you can see them jump and you see their eyes get real big and you can tell they're having a crisis of belief in that chair, right? They're not sure they can lean their whole weight on that chair. But God is not like that. We can lean our whole weight on him. You see, promises don't do us any good unless we believe them and act on them. And Abram had already trusted God's promise in chapter 12. We talked about that last week. And, we, and he proved it by leaving home and going to Canaan. But Genesis 15, 6 is the first time, first reference in the Bible to Abram's faith. And then in verses 7 through 11, God promises Abram the land of Canaan for an inheritance. And God never promises more than he's able to deliver. Aren't you glad for that? Because if you're like me, we as, as human beings, we fail. And sometimes we break our promises. I have people in my life that have broken promises to me, but God never did that. So Abram desired a sign. More, and it was more about strengthening and confirming his faith as opposed to unbelief. And that leads us to our last point, which is that God confirms. Point four, God confirms You see, the answer to Abram's fear early in the chapter was God's presence. I am your shield. The answer to Abram's concern about his heir 
was God's promise. I will give you a son from your own body. So remember Abram's second question. How can I know that I will possess the land? Abram asked God and God directs Abram to make preparation for a sacrifice with the very best that Abram could offer. And I think it's important for us to remember that God must be served with the best that we have because he is the best. So Abram makes that preparation and then he falls into a deep sleep followed by terror and great darkness. Did did that stand out to you at all? Isn't that that a strange part of this passage? Terror and great darkness. And we can spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but we don't. I just want to hit on it today. Just remember, children of God don't always walk around in light. Sometimes there's clouds and darkness that are hovering over them. But God used this terror and darkness to tell Abram his plan. And so what do I mean by that? Well, we might call it anxiety or depression in this, in this day and age. Heaviness, concern, what's happening. And that's what fell, terror fell on Abram. And God used that to show him his plan. So, so if that's you today, I want you to know God can use that. Even if you don't see how, he can use that to tell you his plan. And he does that for Abram. He tells him about his descendants in verses 13 through 16. He says, your descendants will be strangers in a land. They will be servants and sufferers in a land. And their suffering will continue for 400 years. I think sometimes we read right over that. Like, ah, that's no big deal. 400 years. And we think God makes us wait long sometimes, right? Then their enemies would be judged for their sins. And then his descendants who become the Israelites, they will be delivered, enlarged, and enriched. And the most beautiful thing about God's confirmation here is that God makes a promise to Abram that requires no commitment on Abram's part. He's asked to prepare the covenant and trust that God himself will keep it. And did you catch it uh, in the passage? Abram himself won't even get to inhabit this promised land. It is for his descendants. So think about that. That's some heavy stuff that Abram had to deal with. Can you, can you relate why he might have a few questions or concerns about God's promises? Then verse 17 through 21 God cuts the covenant, and I think this is a beautiful picture. This, there's, some, there's some really um, interesting imagery that happens right here. Uh, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch show up, right? And they pass through the pieces of the animals. And both of these things signify God's presence and his alone to keep the covenant. This is kind of foreshadowing. A little bit later, God's going to show up in a cloud and in fire. Uh, you're going to see that throughout Scripture. But, but these two things are representative of God's presence. So let's talk about this cutting of the covenant thing. You, maybe you're not familiar with, with what this is. I had to learn about it myself. What's described in verses 9 through 17 is known as cutting the covenant. And it's a solemn ritual that involved the death of animals and the binding of people to a promise. So you probably remember the persons making a covenant would sacrifice several animals and they would cut them in half. Now, I tried to teach this to my kids earlier this week, and my girls couldn't get past this part. They're like, what? They cut animals in half? But I love animals. You know, it started down that old path. That's what they did. They cut the animals in half, separated them on the ground. Then those parties that were making the covenant would walk between the pieces of the sacrifices in declaration, listen to this, that if they failed to keep their word, they deserved the same fate as the animals. That's how serious this covenant was. But Abram experiences something slightly different. 
He had killed the animals. He laid them on the ground. Then he spends the rest of the day fighting off the birds of the air that were attracted to the flesh and blood. And then when the sun goes down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And then God appears and spoke to him. And if you notice, God alone passed between the parts of the sacrifices. Genesis 15, 17. It was God who made the promises to Abram, not Abram who made the promises to God. There were no conditions attached. The covenant of grace came from the generous heart of God. And if you notice here in this passage, God had said before in Genesis chapter 12, he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. But here in Genesis 15 and verse 18, he says, I give this land to your offspring. The charter is sealed. It's delivered and it cannot be undone. God has confirmed his promises through the cutting of this covenant. And what God has promised is as sure as if it were already done. So what does that mean for us? Well, it's awesome because we can take a passage like John 3.36 that says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. So this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. You're not waiting on it. You have it. God's promises are complete. And I love the way that he confirms. So, so God promises, Abram questions, Abram believes, and God confirms. And, and you see that dialogue, that back and forth that happens between God and Abram. In conclusion, as we start to, to wrap up, we're going to land the plane here in just a second. This passage reminds us that in this walk with God, there's truly a fear versus faith decision that has to be made. And honestly, we've got to decide to trust God wholly and abandon our own ways and thinking. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, Declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's what it comes down to. That's what Abram was dealing with. That's what we deal with on a regular basis. So I told you my example about how fear came on me. Um, out of nowhere and then came on my seven-year-old daughter because I screamed at her. Another time, I chose fear. About, uh, back in March, I was, uh, I was at the gym working out, which I'm sure is no surprise to all of you in this room with these guns. Um, but I'm there working out and I'm doing squats and there's a mirror, you know, they always put a mirror in front of you so you can see how woefully inadequate you are on the squat machine. Um, but I noticed this, uh, looking in the mirror and uh, there's a spot on my leg and it was like a, a protrusion. I was like, that's weird. I don't remember that. Um, and so I kind of looked at it and I went home. I was like, hey, Kara, take a look at this, this spot on my leg. And she did. And she's like, man, that's really strange. I said, well, maybe I hit it. I don't, I don't remember it all, but we'll, we'll take a look at it. And just kind of watch it and see what happens. Well, it goes on for about a week, and I decide, well, nothing's happened. Nothing's changing. It's weird, and I better go see a doctor, you know, and I'm just kind of looking at it. And so the night before I'm to go to the doctor's office, um, I was the last one awake in my house watching some sporting event. And as I'm sitting there watching it, I just kind of brought my leg up, and I just kind of started feeling that spot again. And I was like, man, that's weird. It's big. It's hard. I don't understand. There's no discoloration. It almost has like a crescent shape. It's strange. What is this about? And I could feel fear starting to well up in me. And so in that moment, I had a, I had a decision to make. And so I just kind of took a deep breath and thought, what is the best possible thing that I can do? So I Googled it. And... Um, <laughs> 
Let me tell you that that is not the best thing you can do at all, okay? Because I don't care what your physical ailment is. You might have a red hair growing out of your earlobe. If you Google that, I promise you, you'll find out you're dying, okay? <laughs> so sure enough, I start looking online um, at WebMD and it ain't looking good. It's not looking good at all. And then I'm looking at some message boards and commentary about it. Some dude named Bob in Seattle's like, man, it's the worst possible cancer it could be. You know, like I'm just like, he's talking about the lump that popped up on his leg. And I start believing the knowledge and the wisdom of men, what we can find. And long story short, I completely freaked myself out. Okay. I mean, completely. I'm crying. I, I mean, tears go, I can't go to sleep. I'm shook up. I think I'm dying. I'm begging God to save me. I mean, eventually I got to prayer. I'm glad for that. Didn't start there. Started with Google, but eventually I got to prayer, right? I stayed up the whole night. I can't talk to Karen. I can't even look at her the next morning without like coming undone. Go to work. I have staff meeting. I come undone in staff meeting asking for prayer requests. All because I chose fear. I chose fear. I hadn't even seen the doctor yet. I chose fear. Instead of thinking, you know what? I am a child of God. And whatever this is, it passed through God's hands before it got to me. And if I'm his child, then he is my shield, right? Man, I could have chosen that, but I didn't. Now, I wish I could tell you that this is one of those preacher stories that it's got a really good ending. Uh, and, you know, wraps it up in a nice little bow and we tie it off, but it doesn't. And here's why. Because I go to the doctor, and they're like, hmm, that's weird. We don't know what that is. I'm like, this is not helping. I know that. I've said that myself, all right? <laughs> go to another doctor. Hmm, that is really strange. I don't know what that is. We should CT that thing. I'm like, yes, now we're getting somewhere. Let's CT that thing. See what happens. We CT that thing. Come back. Hmm, the report, we don't know what it is. The, the truth is, standing here today, there is still a remnant of that little mass on my leg right now. It has shrunk. It is super weird, okay? It is weird. Nobody seems to be overly concerned about it except me, okay? <laughs> but today, I have to choose between fear and faith. It hasn't resolved itself, okay? Today, I have to choose between fear and faith. And I look throughout this room, and I know there's people in here that have had some bad things happen at their job. They've had some physical ailments that have popped up. And, man, it's hard. But we have to do something with fear or faith. That's what it comes down to, all right? So I'm going to ask, the, the band's going to start coming up. We're going to do this slightly differently today. Um, but I, but I, want you to, I want you to think about these things. We have to choose fear or faith. There's no middle ground. Either God is a liar or fear is a liar. And I just want to tell you today, God isn't a liar. He's not. But we imply that he is one with our lack of trust. Can you trust God to keep what he has promised despite your circumstances and despite your inability to see how he's going to keep that? I have a pastor friend named Jeremy Freeman, um, and he says the impossible becomes possible with God when faith rules over fear in our hearts. So we've got to choose fear of faith. There's no middle ground. Either God is a liar 
our fear is a liar. So here's what we're going to do today. I want you to take just a moment, and this is going to, it might feel strange to you, but we're going to take the four minutes that it's going to take to get through this song, and I want you to just simply bow your heads, close your eyes, right where you are. And I don't want anybody moving around. I don't want anybody looking around during this song. I want you to simply ask yourself, God, is there anywhere in my life that I've chosen fear over faith? Would you reveal that to me? And so we're going to sing this song. I want you to let God speak to you. Then you will have a chance to respond to what God might be saying to you in this. But eyes closed listening to the Lord.